Welcome, everyone, to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I am your host, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF. We're through another week of the preseason. Well, almost still one more tonight, but after another weekend of grinding the tape and pulling the data back to break it all down, PFF's lead fantasy analyst, the one and only Nathan Yankee. Nate, another weekend of preseason games in the books. How you doing? Uh, yeah, almost in the books. Uh, still feeling like I'm recovering from Saturday where we had 11 games in one day, nine of them all occurring at night. So it was just a very consistent grind to get those recaps done from about 6.30 p.m. Eastern to about 1 a.m. in the morning. But got them all done, have all my notes, and I'm ready to go. Nice. Yeah, the preseason schedule is so bizarre. Like just one game on Sunday, one game tonight as well. Like let's just try to at least spread them out a little bit more evenly. But yeah, we'll see. Um, because usually and even like, like yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say Sunday at like one o'clock Eastern, where we normally are going to have yeah. football every day for the rest of the year. Easy to put a game there, have something on NFL Network rather than just more preseason reruns. But oh well. Yeah, yeah. They just give us that one uh well, Saints game last night that was uh yeah, not as interesting, but um well, you know, it, it's football. I guess we'll take it until the the regular season starts up, but um yeah, I I'm, I'm excited to at least talk about this week's pa- this past week's slate of games here because like last week, basically what we're going to do, we're going to go over the top 10 storylines from this past week's worth of preseason games as they pertain to the wonderful world of fantasy football. Um, Nate also wrote up these takeaways for PFF.com. So anybody that wants to refer back to those or, or read them instead can, can go to the website as well. Um, and if there's anything that we didn't cover today that you were hoping we'd talk about, Nate did full fantasy recaps for every single game, which you can check out on PFF.com. Um, and I'm sure that Washington Baltimore recap cap should hit at some point tonight around halftime as well so keep an eye out for that um but yeah before we get into it i do want to give a shout out to our presenting sponsor the good folks uh at fabrics by fabric by gerber life fall is a all about back to school and back to routine checklist. And the most important task on that list should be securing your family's financial future starting with life insurance Fabric by Gerber Life makes it easy, quick, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash fantasy. That's meetfabric.com slash fantasy, M-E-E-T fabric.com slash fantasy. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, let's get into the fantasy storylines from preseason week two. And we'll start right at the top because I think this was the one that got the people going more than anything this week. Uh, Just judging by the amount of times I saw the clip of his first carry come up on the timeline. Um, Obviously, people were excited for this and it finally happened. Bijan Robinson has played a snap in the NFL. So the haters can no longer use that as an excuse not to acknowledge his fantasy ranking heading into 2023. Uh, Nate, what did the Falcons show us when it came to um, their top 10 pick from this year's NFL draft? Sure. Tyler Algier started the game, which isn't surprising considering he's the more veteran of the two players. And even if that happens in the regular season, it's not a big deal. Damian Harris was still the starter for the Patriots last season, even though it was Ramondre Stevenson getting all the fantasy work there. So um, he started, played the first uh, two snaps, but then Robinson came in and played 12 of the next 15 snaps, um, ended up playing over 70% of the snaps with the starters, which is huge considering we thought this could be a little bit more of a timeshare. And especially early in the season when Algier is the veteran player and they're easing in the rookies in a little bit more, having Robinson already at 70% of offense, offensive snaps is huge. If he can maintain that in the regular season, then he's definitely going to be worth this first round price tag that we have on him. Um, and then, like you said, he played well. Um, He had that highlight play in the game. He ran the ball four times, also caught a pass. So that was all 
uh, fairly good to see um, that kind of split between the two. I know after the game uh, continued on with the starters, we might see Algier a little bit more than what we saw in that game. And they might want to just see Robinson uh, have more opportunities because he is a rookie. So there's also a chance of that. But in general, this was good to see. And it's also worth saying it was nice that Atlanta played about 15 snaps with the starters, which is pretty ideal when we're trying to figure things out like this because we don't want to see players get hurt. But this also gives us enough information to make some conclusions off of it compared to teams that only play a couple snaps with the starters or none at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was definitely encouraging, right? Like despite being listed third on the depth chart, um, famously, he he did out snap Tyler Algier, right? 12 to five, 10 to four on first and second downs. um, And then he out snapped him two to one on third downs. Um, I I like that he he ran seven of a possible 10 routes as well. Algier had the other three. So 70% route participation. Like you said, he had that one, that one target that went for like six yards, something like that. Um, But yeah, this, this is, I think telling, right. And, and in reason to be optimistic about his potential um, to be that, that workhorse, like we expect him to be and and why we all have him as the RB three um, heading into this season. Uh, you have him there. I have him there. Kate had him there as well. And Kate and I talked about it la- last episode too, but there's, a, there's always that chance, right. That Atlanta might use a split. And I, I get that this is a small sample size to, you know, to confirm one way or the other, but it is telling at least that that 70% snap rate um, was there for him and that he did get those opportunities over Tyler Algier. So I, I do think Tyler Algier continues to kind of be like a really nice bet to grab, you know, late in drafts, like that round 14 range or so where he's going. And um, and even Nick Bodiford wrote up a, a, a good piece on the website today covering like the must draft running backs and Algier definitely on that list because there's just too much to like about this offense for a running back. So if something were to happen to Bijan or if this is a closer split than we expect it to be there's definitely kind of plenty of value to be squeezed out of Algier especially since we've been seen him be a very capable back as as recently as last season as well so all good things there from Atlanta and what we're hoping for at least on that small sample size sure I'll add two more notes I did uh, note that Atlanta did run a lot of personnel grouping so this was a lot similar to the offense we will see in season i know in the preseason a lot of teams like to go a little bit more vanilla in what they're doing but atlanta did use 21 personnel a number of plays 12 personnel 11 personnel moving guys around in the offense so the offense did look pretty similar to what we saw last season in the regular season so it wasn't just a vanilla offense of atlanta giving players snaps in the preseason this did look like a regular season game for that one drive for atlanta And then we'll also note uh, Cordero Patterson is dealing with an injury expected to be out a few weeks. So once Patterson is healthy, he'll probably mix into this backfield and add some more complicated factors to this Falcons offense. But at least for now, it was good to see Robinson over 70%. Mm -hmm, For sure. All right. So that's Bijan and company. Uh, Let's move on to another potential Belcal running back in Houston. Uh, Nate, what do we see from Damian Pierce this week that has you feeling maybe more optimistic about his 2023 fantasy potential? The big thing with Pierce is he took every snap on those first two drives. Uh, Last year, we saw him play on first downs, on second downs, and then third and short, but very rarely on the field if it was third down and five yards or longer. So we saw Pierce take those kind of snaps. I think there were a good three or four plays where Houston was in that situation on their first two drives, and it was always Pierce on the field. Uh, Ran eight routes on those two drives, which is all the pass plays that Houston had during that time. So the fact that there is a potential for him to play on third downs this year is huge. Um, Ideally, he starts seeing some targets when he's in on third downs, which didn't happen in this preseason game. But even a couple more targets would be huge for his fantasy value compared to where he was last year. So it's really the fact that he was doing that. And then uh, Devin Singletary didn't play at all with the starters, uh, played with the second team, continued playing on for a little bit. So uh, having Singletary not see that playing time is also important. Uh, We did think Singletary might have been the passing down back, but Singletary wasn't even in that role in the first preseason season game so Singletary right now looks like a clear backup whenever Pierce needs a break and with this coaching staff 
coming from San Francisco. We've seen them have feature backs in the past on the team. So Pierce definitely looks like he's filling that role rather than the other running backs that they added. They added Mike Boone in free agency as well, and he's decently far down the depth chart at this point. So it's all been looking up for Pierce over these last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is great. I mean, Rex Burkhead, we know, like dominated those third down snaps last season. He's no longer on the team. And, and there isn't really like a Burkhead-esque back on this team that could potentially fill that role in 2023. Um, fingers crossed that I didn't just jinx like Kareem Hunt signing there now or something like that. But for, for a guy like Pierce, who who isn't really known for like his receiving profile or, or pass blocking prowess, I, I think it's a really good thing. And, you know, you look at him last year game in games that he played, he didn't even clear a 40% route participation for the year. So now with a chance to get much more involved in the passing game, ran a route on, like you said, on, on every one of those plays um, through the first two drives, feels like a pretty good indication of, of his, increase in usage for him on passing downs this year which is a huge boost to his 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 value even if it isn't as high as you know every down or or 80 something percent if it's even above 50 percent, that's a big difference from from last season as far as route participation goes so it makes a lot of sense i think to see him potentially be like one of these adp risers over the next uh two weeks or so and and in the fourth round i, I think it's a nice value for him among like the the aaron joneses and kenneth walkers of the world who do have a little bit more of a clear split for for, for for playing time. Yeah, and it's worth noting this is the preseason when someone's playing every snap, it could just be the team wanting that player to play in every situation even though they might not be planning for it in the regular season, it might just be trying out the player there. So this is no guarantee that Pierce is going to play on third downs in the regular season. It's just good to see that Houston's at least considering that possibility where they weren't doing it last year. And I would note they do have Dare Ogunbwale, who I would probably expect to have that third down role if Pierce isn't playing. Not that he would be relevant for fantasy football purposes, but they do at least have some backs on the roster who are more pass catchers if they choose to not have Pierce on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so at least encouraging there for, for Damian Pierce. Um, but let's move on to maybe another interesting running back situation that kind of continues to develop this preseason. Uh, after Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott got the week off last week, they both returned this week and it was DeAndre Swift that was given the day off. So Nate, what are the Philadelphia Eagles trying to tell us about their running back situation uh, heading into this season? Yeah, heading into that Eagles night game early last week, I was like excited going into it, knowing that I'd at least have the Eagles running backs to write about. But it ended up being a pretty vanilla game for the Eagles running backs in general. Kenneth Gainwell took about eight snaps or so, and then his day was done. Boston Scott came in next. He only played three snaps. And then it was Rashad Penny and Penny only played for a drive or two as well. didn't get the ball. None of the three running backs got the ball all that much or did much when they had the ball. And then they went to Trey Sermon and Sermon had plenty of time in the second quarter, plenty in the third quarter, uh, fumbled pretty much right after he got on the field, scored a touchdown later. So for a second, I'm like, maybe Sermon is part of this running back rotation potentially, but after fumbling, and seeing how much he played compared to all the other running backs, not so much. So um, at this point, the things that are clearest to me is that it's some combination of uh, Gainwell and Swift at the top of the depth chart, just with Penny playing further down for the second straight week. I do think um, based on how little Penny played, I think if he was on the roster bubble, he would have gotten more opportunities. So the fact that he didn't get that many opportunities uh, suggest to me that his roster spot is probably safe. I'm guessing Philadelphia will keep all four of these running backs on the roster. Um, there have been more reports uh, out of Philadelphia reporters that Gainwell seen the clear majority of snaps with the starters um, in training camp so far, including running the ball the most out of them with the first team. So like coming into training camp, I thought Gainwell at best was going to be the receiving back. Now it, I think there's at least a possibility that Gainwell is going to have the Miles Sanders role in the offense and then Swift will have Gainwell's old role. But there's still plenty of things that could happen. Uh, Players can get injured. Players can play well or poorly, which will change things. I just think it'll be Gainwell and Swift to start the season, but we'll see plenty of changes throughout the season. So all four running backs are worth late round flyers at this point, just depending on where their ADP happens to be that day. Right. 
Yeah, it's 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 definitely interesting. We'll see what happens with with Rashad Penny, but I mean, I'm not feeling nearly as good about Penny as I was earlier this offseason. You know, we used to kind of love that that 10th round ADP and he's still going in the ninth round on, on underdog, I think it is. So he's fallen into like the 11th and redraft. But it, like you said, it, it's at least encouraging that he's probably going to still be on the team, although fourth on the depth chart isn't prop isn't necessarily the best case scenario for him um as far as like maybe best case scenarios go i'm hoping that just based on the pattern that we've got from these guys that maybe it's penny that gets the rest day next week and and you know gainwell and scott and and deandre swift all play but i it I, it doesn't seem likely um so there, there's definitely concerns there but yeah got to pivot to the much cheaper Kenneth Gainwell at this point, because all signs are pointing to him having the the, the bigger role over Rashad Penny um, this season. So uh, I'm fine to pivot there, especially uh, at cost now. Yeah. And tomorrow I have uh, updated running back league winners, breakouts and sleepers coming out. I did take Penny out of my sleepers for that and did put Gainwell in there. So nice. agree with you pivoting to Gainwell in that spot and, We'll see anywhere from one to four to none of those players playing in the last preseason game, just in some teams now treat it as their game with the starters like they would the third preseason year in years past. Some of them are treating it like the fourth preseason game in years past where none of the starters play whatsoever. So it also would not surprise me if Philadelphia rests all four of those players next week, but it could also be any one of them or two of them or three of them as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, let's go to one another running back that I'm I'm particularly happy to see, which is Javante Williams getting his first game action uh, after ta- tearing his ACL last season. So he's already back and got the start uh, in Denver with Samaje Pirine. Um, he outsnapped Pirine and led the way in terms of targets with the starters, getting a, a pretty crazy five targets on ten of the team's passing attempts. So they obviously a fifty percent target share, not something we'd expect to continue throughout the regular season of course but Javante Williams playing in this game at least means that he's a lock to play week one barring any setbacks so what did the usage tell us about how Denver might choose to utilize um, Javante Williams and Samaje Pirine together Sure. First off, like you said, it's great to see him back after his injury last season and the fact that uh, Denver is willing to play him in the preseason rather than taking it even more cautious. So this is a very good sign for him in general that he'll be ready to go week one. Uh, Denver was interesting in that Russell Wilson played the first drive and then sat the second drive, but all of the other starters kept playing. So that was a little odd to me, but uh, Williams, it was the he was the clear early down back. He played the vast majority of snaps on first downs, the two split snaps on second downs, and then P. Ryan played the vast majority on third downs, which is especially weird because you would expect the third down back to be the one seeing a bunch of targets rather than the early down back. So it was a little weird stat line of seeing Williams with five targets as the early down back. Um, it's a little concerning to me that. Denver had those clear roles for the players at this point, because that could very well be what they end up doing in season, since that's the role P. Ryan I had in Cincinnati was the third down back. So if that does happen, that probably hurts Williams upside a little bit because he won't be seeing as much receiving work. Um, it could also certainly be possible that that's just how Denver wanted to limit Williams times with the starters is taking him out on third downs because they know he can play third down. So it's also certainly possible that he'll have a larger role in the regular season than he saw in this game. But if Denver continues to keep the running backs in this role, then Williams is probably getting drafted about where he should be because he won't see that receiving upside that we would hope to see for um, a head coach that consistently has running backs uh, get 90 plus targets a season. So ideally he has that third down role, but we'll see in the next preseason game if things change significantly or not. Yeah, it was definitely a misleading stat line um, for sure. But, you know, again, small sample size. I'm happy to take anything at this point from like Javante Williams specifically. It was great to see him kind of get involved early and um, and in the passing game. Obviously, he had that drop on like his first target, but he looked good. I mean, they came back to him. Uh, There was like a, a scramble drill where he was lined up wide, worked back to the ball, made a nice catch for a first down, made a contested catch against Fred Warner a few plays later. Um, but like you said, the, the main thing, if they if this is the kind of usage that we're going to get where 
Samaj P. Ryan got the majority of short distance work, even though there wasn't that much of it. And, and all of the third down snaps, um, even though he spent a cup, he spent two of those snaps uh, pass blocking and then only two running routes. Um, and then he he did run one as well. And then there was a fullback run in there. So six, six third down snaps. Samaje P. Ryan saw them all. Um, but let, let's assume based on this game that P. Ryan gets that kind of short down and distance work and third down work. Like you said, it definitely hurts Williams' opportunities for those key touches, either at the goal line or for receptions. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this kind of carry into the regular season, at least early in the year, with Williams potentially getting maybe eased into a larger role as he feels more comfortable on that knee and gets some more of his burst back, and and you know can kind of prove to be his old self again, um, which I think would earn him more work in in Sean Payton's offense. So seventh round, he. Is where he's going, moving up slowly, but surely I'm fine grabbing him there, even maybe tail end of the sixth, but tempering expectations, at least for earlier um, in the season with the chance that he gets potentially more work in the back half of the year. Feels like it's going to be this similar to the last two seasons where every game it's like, why isn't Williams getting more playing time? Why isn't he getting more playing time? So hopefully we're not in for another year of that. But uh, also with P Ryan, it's, probably worth lowering him a little bit in the rankings just because now that we know Williams is going to be ready to play week one, that was a huge part of P. Ryan's upside is that there was the potential that he was going to be the clear starter to start the season. And it definitely does not look like that's going to be the case anymore. And him just playing on third downs is probably not going to be enough for him to have a ton of fantasy value. So still the handcuff in Denver for sure, but probably not a lot less likely to have standalone value this season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good call. Um, all right, let's take another uh, quick ad break here. And this one is our friends at DraftKings. This season, DraftKings has launched the largest best ball tournament in DraftKings history. Right now, you can enter into DraftKings best ball tournament for a shot at over $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes. Make your entry into the draft today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the NFL season without having to worry about managing your roster, waiver wires, and more. To start playing best ball, download the DraftKings app and use code PFF. Enter DraftKings Best Ball Millionaire Contest and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers. No ads, drops, trades, or I should have played him instead. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head to the DraftKings app and sign up with code PFF and start playing best ball today. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament only on DraftKings with code PFF. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, let's get on to our next big takeaway from this week's games, which is that we saw a number of day two rookie wide receivers earn roles with the starters in 11 personnel um, between Jonathan Mingo in Carolina, Jaden Reed continuing his role there from last week in Green Bay, Rashi Rice getting more work in 11 for the Chiefs, uh, Marvin Mims moving into a starting role for the Broncos, Josh Downs getting work in 11 for the Colts, and finally Michael Wilson emerging as a starter for the Cardinals. So, Nate, which of these guys maybe has you particularly interested um, for 2023 fantasy purposes based on the way that they're getting used this preseason? I think Jaden Reed is probably near the top of that list just because he's taking the slot role on Green Bay. Um, it's He's probably going to stay in 11 personnel only and not be an every down wide receiver this season based on how they're using him. But that slot role is very important in Green Bay. Uh, for a number of years they've had, while Randall Cobb's been a primary slot player, they'll have a lot of different players uh, playing in the slot. But so far in the preseason, it's been uh, very dominated by Reed, those slot snaps. And Green Bay's been among the top teams to target slot wide receivers these past few seasons and one of the bottom few teams at targeting outside wide receivers. So that makes me intrigued that Reed could have a pretty big part in the offense in year one and could also be a little bit of bad news for their two outside wide receivers. Um, and Reed did catch a 19-yard touchdown pass with the starters um, in this game, so that was also helpful. I think Marvin Mims playing in Denver also intriguing me a little bit. I know um, Denver's offense probably has to play a bit better than it has been playing and played last year in order for this to happen, but Mims, we thought he was going to be a slot receiver, but he was playing on the outside. I started thinking of how they might use him and 
um, I've made a lot of Saints comparisons to the Broncos offense in the past, so tried to make one there. And that's Ted Ginn Jr. those last couple of years and he had in the Saints. And he was at times their number two wide receiver, had 800 yards one season. And this was Ginn, who's known for his speed in his 30s at this point, where Mims a lot younger than what uh, Ted Ginn was. So um, there's not a ton of wide receivers that predominantly play on the outside there that are as short as Mims and are as light as Mims. But uh, Ted Ginn definitely was one of the few that fit that bill. So found that interesting comparison. So if Mims is able to have that kind of role and potentially play better, um, that could be a decent amount of fantasy work for Mims and could be the number two wide receiver in Denver if he's has that role and is playing well. So I think those were the two that intrigued me the most, but also uh, good to see Michael Wilson having an every down role. He might be the only player that you mentioned that um, should in week one be an every down player rather than just playing an 11 personnel. Nice. Yeah. I love that Ted Ginn comp um, for, for Marvin Mims. That was a good one. Um, the only other one that stood out to me I thought was was slightly interesting was Josh Downs um, with the Indianapolis Colts. And, and I know Anthony Richardson, at quarterback at the rookie quarterback situation, a guy that's still a developmental passer. Um, that It's not the most ideal situation, but it's not like this is a stacked wide receiver uh, core. You know, Michael Pittman is great. There's Alec Pierce there as well and, and the tight ends. But when I was looking at Richardson last year in, in college, some of his best work kind of came when he was targeting the slot and those higher percentage completion areas of the field, which I think probably ends up being a focus of his um, if, as a rookie for the in the NFL. But um, and then down specifically was among the best in this year's class at kind of working that middle of the field. He earned a he earned the top receiving grade working against zone coverage since 2021 um, in this rookie class. And then he was getting open at a very high rate at 61.2%. So, you know, this is a guy that can get open and he can make himself a, a, an easy target. And it wasn't like he was exclusive to success in, against zone coverage either. He was also had the third best uh, receiving grade against single coverage in this class since 2021 as well with a 91.4. So I just like that he has this ability to kind of get open and work the middle of the field. And I think could be exactly what Anthony Richardson might be looking for as a passer, um, as a rookie. And, and it, so it was nice to kind of see him um, get worked in there with the starters as well because i think he could potentially have a have a role this season that it could be fantasy relevant at some point yeah downs was an interesting one in that like indianapolis was not playing their starters but isaiah mckenzie was playing uh later in the first half and then in the second half as well so downs and mckenzie have been the two clear slot receivers for indianapolis so far this preseason so even though we haven't seen downs with the starters yet it looks like he's the top of the depth chart because he played ahead of McKenzie, and those are the only two uh, slot receivers anywhere near the top of Indianapolis's depth chart. So that initially fooled me at first since like half the game Saturday night, it was teams resting all their starters. So I'm like, okay, uh, McKenzie's probably not playing because the rest of the Colts players aren't playing, but then later realized, oh, McKenzie played later. So that means Downs yeah. actually is ahead of these players. So I went from having very little takeaways for that game to <laughs> one very clear takeaway for that game. Nice. You love when that happens. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about another wide receiver here. Um, and an interesting one, Jackson Smith and Jigba last week, we saw him um, limited exclusively to 11 personnel, even with, with Tyler Lockett and, and DK Metcalf not playing in that game. So Nate um, Lockett played in this one. Metcalf did not. Did JSN's role change at all this week or was it more of the same? Uh, we did see it change. He, they started using him in a lot of different ways. They used him in 12 personnel, even in 13 personnel. He was the solo wide receiver in that set. So uh, they started expanding what he was doing. Um, yeah, it was a lot uh, with the backups rather than starters. Lockett, uh, typically when we see a veteran player only play a snap or two, it's the first snap or two of the game. Uh, we saw that with Aaron Jones this past week. We saw that with his former teammate, Devontae Adams, uh, take one snap with the Raiders, and then his day was done. But Lockett came in for snaps at the end of their first drive, and then that was his only playing time in the game. So that was a little odd. But just seeing Smith and Najigba play in those different personnel groupings, lining up uh, more on the outside as well as in the slot, moving him around, which Seattle wide receivers, yeah, they've had some predominantly slot receivers in the past, but they've been players who can also play on the outside uh, like Tyler Lockett hasn't done what he's done in his career just from the slot he's also 
done it from the outside. So Smith and Ajigba, we know long-term will have that kind of role, but now there's at least a possibility possibility short-term he could see more of that kind of role of playing all over the place, which should be able to increase his playing time and potentially decrease Tyler Lockett's. And that could be something that changes more throughout the season. So um, based on the first preseason game, it didn't look like that kind of thing would happen, but Smith and Jigba, one of the more noteworthy players who had a different role in week two compared to week one. Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't think we, like we expect him to kind of overtake Tyler Lockett, you know, at least early in the year. But so we weren't too concerned about like that relegation to just 11 personnel last week. So it was nice to see him kind of move more out away from that slot role this week, get lined up outside. We got to see him get a few more targets from the outside as well, um, both crossing routes. So the middle of the field anyways, but still, um, you know, a, a decent sign and and obviously Lockett, Metcalf, they're not going to play 100% of the offensive snaps. So JSN should be involved here, I think, as a rookie and potentially push for, I would say, weekly flex um, spots in, in fantasy lineups eventually this season if we see this you know, positive usage kind of continue um, with Metcalf also in the lineup. Yeah, so I think it just increases the possibilities for him this season and increases it potentially sooner. So I only moved him up slightly in my rankings, but I think this just increases the range of possibilities for him that are positive this season compared to what we were seeing last week. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, let's go on to the tight ends um, and start with everyone's favorite tight end, Kyle Pitts. Uh, You know, one of the bigger knocks on Kyle Pitts last season uh, when he was in the lineup was the concerning usage among the team's tight ends, which Arthur Smith addressed as him not caring about fantasy football, which is why we saw guys like Parker Hesse getting snaps over him in certain situations. So Nate, another year of Kyle Pitts in the NFL and in Arthur Smith's system. So please tell me we got more encouraging usage to make us optimistic about Pitts being much more involved in the offense this year. Uh, We had some positive and some negative news. Um, I'll give you a little peek behind the curtain in all of my process with this. When you're seeing me post these charts of players with snaps, a lot of that's coming straight from our data collection team who does a great job in getting this information. But there are times where, especially if there's only one game going on, I'll be charting things myself and I can chart the quarterback, running back, wide receivers, and tight ends faster than someone can chart all 22 players on the field so I can get that information a little faster. And I was doing that with Atlanta's offense. So those first half of the drive where it was seven or so plays, eight or so plays, and things were looking pretty promising for Pitts. Uh, He was consistently on the field in 11 personnel, consistently on the field in 12 personnel. The only personnel grouping that they were taking him out of was 21, which is typically a run formation. So with a fallback, with a run blocking tight end, we've seen plenty of tight ends get taken out of 21 personnel and still be perfectly fine for fantasy football. Uh, TJ Hawkinson's a good example of that last year with Minnesota. He very often was off the field on 21 personnel, didn't hurt him at all for fantasy. So that was the first half of the drive where things were looking really good. The second half of the drive, Pitts was getting taken off the field a lot more. I think he only took three snaps over that drive. Uh, we saw both uh, Jonu. Uh, Johnu Smith and Michael Pruitt both took snaps out of 11 personnel later in the drive, as well as snaps out of 12 personnel together. So it started looking less concerning at that point of time. So it's hard to know exactly what that all means since we are do have Pitts coming back from an injury. So they probably were wanting to limit his snaps at a little bit. And it's also a 15 play drive is a long drive. So it's understanding that you would take someone off the field a little bit more later in the drive. They were doing that with some of their wide receivers rotating in and out a little bit more as the drive progressed as well. So it's just hard to know if this is one long drive where Pitts is coming off of an injury. So it's not a big deal, or this is something that we can expect throughout the season where we see Pitts play a little bit and then get taken off the field for a bit and then play a bit more and then get taken off for more. So It's hard to know exactly what it all means, but it's at least complicated and it could be positive or it could be negative. Yeah, this is the story of Kyle Pitt's career so far. And and, yeah, this might be my my pessimistic outlook here, but it just feels like something that they're going to continue to do in the regular season. Just 
because it isn't out of the ordinary from what we've seen already from this team. But like you said, it, you know, it's not like a death knell to Pitts's val- fantasy value because he is such a high end target earner for the position. So I think with more competent quarterback play and, and being that getting that higher target rate, maybe potentially in the end zone and the red zone um, this time, he, he could still absolutely be a top five tight end for fantasy this year. We just like to see him get a few more kicks at the can by playing more snaps and potentially raising that floor a bit. So we don't have, you know, any more of those um, finishes that are outside the top 20 tight ends uh, like he had last year on, on, I think half of his games last season, five of 10 games um, were outside of the, the, he finished outside the top 20 tight ends uh, for fantasy purposes. So yeah, it's it's always concerning, at least for the floor, but we know the ceiling is absolutely there for Kyle Pitts um, just because of that receiving talent that he is. We just want to see him get as many opportunities to showcase that as possible. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I All went right, to update my rankings and I couldn't move him down that much because I'm like, <laughs> he's still so much more talented than any of the other guys that I have below him. So I'm still drafting him for that upside compared to other tight ends where I'm like, I know I can put you in my starting lineup. I'm going to be disappointed with them half the weeks anyway. So anyone lower than that, you're not going to be happy with as a starter where at least Pitts has that high end upside that other players just don't have. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it's hard, right? We want that high end um, upside for the tight end position. And I don't know, maybe there's some guys, maybe some of these rookie tight ends this year can, can help us out with that and, and maybe help us feel a little bit better about pushing Kyle Pitts down the rankings. But as of now, I I don't know if I could do it either. Um, But let's keep the tight end talk going here with another one of our favorites down in Tennessee and one we're hoping gets more playing time this season as well. Um, Chigazi Mokonkwo. Nate, one of the potential barriers for Okonkwo breaking into maybe that top 10 range this year uh, has been playing time. So did we see any encouraging usage this week to get us maybe feeling a bit better about him as a weekly fantasy starter in 2023? We definitely saw some encouraging usage for him there it wasn't perfect it wasn't as well as we could possibly see but it was definitely steps in the right direction um the big thing for him is 11 personnel usage where he's the only tight end on the field um he only lined up in that personnel grouping 17.7 percent of the time last season so um that obviously wasn't good but over the first two drives he took 100 percent of those snaps all five of them over the first two drives. So the fact that he's pretty clearly their tight end for 11 personnel this year is a huge step in the right direction. And that's where you see a ton of the fantasy production out of tight ends. They typically aren't quite as efficient out of 11 personnel, but that's still where a ton of the fantasy production comes from. Uh, Then in 12 personnel, uh, he didn't line up there quite as often. They use two other tight ends a lot of the time. Um, played there just under 50% of the time, which is right around where he was last year. Last year was a little above 50% of the time, but all it would have taken is for him to play one more snap and it would have been over what he did last year. So we're only talking about one snap there. So uh, we should still see him significantly in 12 personnel. Um, The ideal case is that he's playing all of the 12 personnel snaps and all of the 11 personnel snaps, because that's what we see a lot of the fantasy starting tight ends end up getting. But um, it was a step in the right direction. Um, it's probably also worth noting on their third drive, they started rotating in backups a little bit more. So he did take a couple of snaps on that drive, not nearly as much as the earlier drives, but that was also true for other starters that were playing and playing a lot on the first two drives. Also started getting rotated out more on the third drive. So wasn't as concerned about it, but it did still happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was this was a good one to see for sure, because, yeah, 11 personnel, it wasn't a, a common usage for for Oconquo last last year. Um, and this is already, you know, kind of a run heavy team. So we want to see him get more snaps um, on those like more passing formations and, and potentially get worked in there as a as a a key target, I guess, in, in this offense, in the passing game. And hopefully when Ryan Tannehill is back, you know, they can, they can move the ball efficiently and get him the ball accurately and things like that, because yeah, we, we talked about it before, but this is, you know, one of the better um, tight ends from, from last season, as far as like some of the receiving rates go and things like that. So it could be very encouraging if he continues to get an increase in snaps um, as, as the season goes on or into the regular season here, because I, 
I think he has that potential to get into the top 10 range, especially, you know, kind of looking at some of the other tight ends that are around him. He has a little bit more upside potentially. Um, so it would be nice absolutely to see him get some more of those, those receiving down that, that receiving down work and then potentially getting more work in 12 personnel as well. It's worth noting with the 12 personnel, um, he was off the field more for run situations, on the field more for pass situations. This was true last year. It was true in this game. So mm-hmm. he did run around on six of the seven pass plays that they ran. So um, he could definitely play in more 12 personnel just when they're passing the ball more often. Mm-hmm. So that is also a promising sign. Beautiful. Love it. All right. Our next partner is AG1. Um, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Um, I've actually been drinking it every day uh, and and I certainly need it because look, if I'm being totally honest here, I don't necessarily have the healthiest possible diet that I stick to. And, and quite frankly, could definitely stand to be healthier in general. So AG1 is essentially exactly what I was looking for as something you know quick and easy that I can build into my diet where I didn't have to worry about taking so many supplements and pills and all that fun stuff. Um, I really wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. Wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, especially doing four podcasts a week, um, immune system support, and and wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. I throw my AG1 into a fruit smoothie every morning and and start the day off with everything I need for my body, like giving my body the nutrition it craves. So again, as someone who can't um, be alone in wanting to improve their health and, and has a difficult time doing so when it comes to overall diet, adding AG1 to my day has been a game changer in that regards as I get seven. 25 high quality ingredients that give me key daily nutrients and support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. I just mix one small scoop with my smoothie, drink it first thing in the morning, boom, done. It's as simple as that. Another added bonus is that it costs less than $3 a day, which is pretty good if you ask me. Um, It's a really effective daily habit with high quality sourced ingredients. It's a win-win. So If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Check it out now. All right, let's wrap things up as we did last week, focusing on a couple of rookie tight ends and start in Green Bay where that Luke Musgrave is so damn hot right now. But did he continue that excellent usage from last week as the team's clear number one tight end? And is he ready to buck the rookie tight end trend in 2023, Nate? Uh, Yeah, Musgrave was a positive sign last week that he played 100% of the snaps with the starters. Um, He did so again in this game. So that was definitely good to see. Um, When I did my top 10 recap, I tried to stay away from things that were already clear in week one. But the big thing here is Josiah DeGuara, who was the tight end three for Green Bay last year, and Green Bay rotated their tight ends a lot. So DeGuara did see a significant amount of playing time for being a tight end three. Was a little worried that he would mix in a little bit more with the tight ends. And he didn't play in the first preseason game, but the fact that Musgrave continued to play in 100% of snaps, despite DeGuara also playing in some two tight end snaps, uh, was another positive sign for me that Musgrave was going to see significant playing time in Green Bay. And like that's something we haven't seen out of Green Bay recently, as we've seen a lot of guys rotating in and out. Uh, Robert Tunyon's been the receiving tight end in recent years, but has also been getting taken out in a lot of formation groupings and especially near the goal line, which hurt him for fantasy purposes. So having a single tight end see all of the work for Green Bay could be a pretty positive sign this year. Yeah, you got me fired up about this one for sure. I I talked about Musgraves, you know, his high-end receiving potential last week. Jordan Love at quarterback has been pretty encouraging so far. He's had one of the higher passing grades in this preseason. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I You know, if Christian Watson is going to be the team's primary receiving option, Jaden Reed's going to mix in there, Romeo Dubs, I'm I think I'm willing to bet on Musgrave kind of becoming that number two target earner on this team. I just think that he has that potential. And if he's going to start seeing these key snaps and getting that opportunity um, in 11 personnel and, and working out of the slot as well, 
I know maybe it's bold, but the Packers ran, you know, 11 pass plays while Musgrave was still in the game. He ran around on nine of those pass blocking on just one and only wasn't on the field for the other one. I mean, that 82% route participation is is definitely encouraging, especially after we just talked about Kyle Pitts only being utilized on like less than 40% of routes while he was in the game. So I think there's so much potential here with Musgrave in this offense, and I really hope they're not teasing us with this one and they can continue to keep that usage going um, into the regular season as well. Yeah, even if it's not 100%, because you rarely see people at 100% of snaps, but just being that high, um, like if Aaron Rodgers was still on the team, then we'd probably be talking about him as a top 15, top 12 fantasy tight end this year. So we're already discounting him a bit for having Jordan Love at quarterback, and there's a chance that Love could be pretty good this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Love's looked pretty good. He's, he's surprised me. I wasn't sure what to expect from him, but it's looked decent so far. Um, all right, one more for this week's recap. Uh, Nate, we've been excited about a few different rookie tight ends, including Musgrave, who obviously we just talked about, as well as Dalton Kincaid and Sam Laporta. The odd man out of this rookie tight end storyline so far this offseason has been Michael Mayer of the Las Vegas Raiders. Are we ready to add Mayer into the conversation for fantasy relevant tight ends or rookie tight ends? Or did his usage uh, tell us otherwise this week? Uh, Yeah, it does not look like that he'll be a fantasy starter anytime soon with the Raiders. Um, This was a little this was the concern that I had for him once the Raiders drafted him is they have Austin Hooper. And Hooper is not a good run blocker. He is 100% a receiving tight end. And we saw the Raiders use him in that way in this game. Hooper was taking a lot of the snaps in 11 personnel where Mayer, who was probably the most well-rounded tight end in this class, was playing in 21 personnel throughout the game. He was playing 100% of 21 personnel snaps. Occasionally, he would mix in an 11 personnel on earlier downs. Um, but that was his usage, and we've seen plenty of teams have a different tight end who's in 11 personnel compared to their main tight end. And when that happens, it's really hard to have either one of them be a fantasy-relevant player. So I don't think we'll see Mayer or Hooper be fantasy-relevant as long as they're in this usage. Um, it was a little odd to see they weren't using 12 personnel at any point. It was either 21 or 11 throughout the game. So I do expect once the regular season hits, we will see a decent number of 12 personnel snaps where they are both on the field. So if you're just looking at how often he was playing or how often he was running around in this game, I do expect it to be higher than what it was in the game. But without playing in 11 personnel regularly, I think it's going to be hard for Mayor to be fantasy relevant this season. Mm hmm. Yeah, as much as Mayer, you know, he was a very good receiving tight end coming out of college. I think this was always going to be a landing spot where we just couldn't be overly excited for fantasy in 2023. You know, there was optimism pre-NFL draft that maybe he'd land somewhere like the Bengals, which would, you know, seemingly help his year one potential. But Vegas just doesn't quite have that same allure to it. And I, I think this usage makes sense, obviously, that we, we've gotten to see from both their starting tight ends in this offense. Austin Hooper, like you said, a receiving tight ends only. And even though Mayer's no slouch as a receiver, he was also a very good run blocker coming out of college. I know that um, Darnell Washington kind of gets a lot of the attention in this class in that regard, but Mayer was right there with him. He earned an 82.1 run blocking grade last year, which was even slightly higher than Washington's and on slightly more um, run blocking snaps as well. So Hooper, not not overly effective as a run blocker. I think he had um like just like four percent like four percent of his um pat pass down snaps were pass blocking, but he also had like a 46.7% run blocking grade. Um yeah, this this is the kind of usage that we're we're probably gonna avoid here in year one for for Michael Mayer. All right, that is going to do it for our preseason week two recap. Hopefully you guys all found that helpful after kind of going through these games last week. And obviously, again, if there's anything that you wanted to hear covered for the um, from this past week that that we didn't cover today, definitely check out Nate's game by game recaps over on PFF.com. Everything is covered in detail over there. This brings us to another one of our five round drafts as we go head to head drafting random things um i'm on a four game winning streak here this is uh this is a bit of a heater nate how, how are you feeling so far <laughs> uh, it's not great because like two of those were it was like 48 to 52 49 yeah. to 51 in that range so 
we had some nail biters in there. I know this last one wasn't quite as close, so hopefully I can turn things around this time, but we'll see how this draft goes. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll we'll skip over the fact that I completely botched the gears in last uh, last draft and still somehow uh, got the win there. But yeah, they, they've been close, but uh, we'll see if you could break the streak here. Because uh, we're drafting best movie sequels, um, specifically the second movie of of uh, a collection of movies, right? We're not looking at like the third one or the fourth one. Like we're not going to say, you know, Mission Impossible 7 or, or anything like that. It has to specifically be the second movie, the sequel um, to the original. So, uh, Nate, you got the first pick. Who are you going with? So... I almost wanted to wait to do this one for a week where I had the second pick because I feel like there's a couple good options right at the top. But I think in order to best make sure that I have a little bit more variety with my picks rather than going with the superhero one at the very top, I think I'm going to go with Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. Um, just it's probably the most classic uh, second movie of all time. And I think it's important to have a movie that's arguably better than the first one and i think that's true in this case and i think it stands this test of time and especially with ahsoka coming out with you winning four in a row i know you're excited for that so even if i can't win the drafts i can try to at least make sure that i ruin your drafts in the process so <laughs> gonna make sure that i get the star wars movie out of this group yeah fair enough that would have been my first pick i i Although, like you said, the second pick isn't bad um, because there's some pretty good options, but I'm not making the same mistake twice. Um, last time when we did movie trilogies, I gave you Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight. I'm not doing it this time. I am, I'm making sure that I take the Dark Knight right at the top um, because I still feel pretty good about some of maybe my other potential ones to go here, but I, I, I just couldn't risk losing the Dark Knight again and then losing sleep over that. So um, yeah, Empire Strikes Back, absolutely better than the original. Dark Knight for me better than than Batman Begins yep. as well, so I have to put that in there. There, I had that. I like I had a two A and two B since I knew you were going to pick one of these two, <laughs> and I just didn't want to have to think about it. So I'm like, I'll just pick whichever one you don't pick. So I'm going with Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Uh, you beat me last week with having some recency bias of adding Kansas City, who's the most recent Super Bowl winner. So I will go with the most recent great sequel of our time. So across the Spider-Verse, an excellent movie that I look forward to seeing again and again and again throughout the rest of this year. Yeah, it's so good, man. I, I just I watched it last weekend i watched it twice in one day uh, because i watched it with my kid and then i watched it with my wife uh, uh after he went to bed as well so um it's yeah it's it's amazing for anybody that hasn't seen it it deserves to be on this list for sure um all right uh my second pick i'm gonna go with godfather 2 um so another one potentially better than the original um it's it's very close this this is a lot closer than maybe some of the other sequels that that i have on here um but man godfather 2 is definitely a classic and uh this was another one where where you had it in your trilogies as well so and it helped you win so I, i'm gonna try to steal it that way <laughs> fair enough um I think with my next pick i'm going to try getting another one that i feel like you might want and it's going to be from the MCU. And I was really thinking about the MCU and there weren't a ton of great sequel options. There's a number of third options that are very good. A number of even fourth options with the Avengers movie, if you're looking at it that way. But I think the best MCU sequel we've had is Captain America and the Winter Soldier. I think, like I said, I'm just trying to ruin your draft at this point. I don't need to win the draft as long as you can't have the movies that you want to have, but... The Winter Soldier, oh, such a good movie. And like I feel like it stands the test of time. Like whenever a new MCU project comes out, I like rewatching all of the old stuff leading up to it and just like rewatching that leading up to Secret Invasion. It, even though it's like a nearly a decade old at this point, it's getting to that time, but it feels like it was made a lot more recently than that. Winter Soldier is amazing. Yeah, I had it very high up here, and I was I was ready to make that my next pick. So yeah, good job. Um, your your strategy of ruining my picks uh, has worked at least for here. Um, all right. I okay. I, I do have another one that I, I that I love, and that is Terminator Two: Judgment Day. Um, to me, Terminator Two 
pretty much a perfect movie. If I had to pick like movies that are made from beginning to end that just hit check every box for me, it Terminator two is there. It's better than the original as well. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to get uh, Terminator two on the list here. That's fair. I think with my next one, it's going to go away with the science fiction a little bit. And I'm going to go with 22 jump street. Um, I think the Jump Street movie is very underrated and they're getting a little odd at this point. But a lot of these movies that are sequels were just better than the first one. 22 Jump Street took the idea of you're making a sequel movie that's supposed to be bigger and better and follow the same kind of formula. And they poked fun at it throughout the entire movie. And I thought they did a great job at doing that. So I think in the spirit of going with sequel movies and having a movie that makes fun of sequel movies, 22 jump street i think is a solid pick here nice yeah that's yeah that's a good pick it is it actually is a really good movie <laughs> um all right that's uh i guess this is so my fourth pick i'll go well this is the second time that i'm putting this movie on my list but it's aliens um i, <laughs> I lost the the best movie the best alien movies um poll that we did and aliens was i think my top pick in there so <laughs> i'm putting it as my fourth pick in this one we'll see if i if i can redeem that that classic and it's actually it's another james cameron movie so um somehow he's getting uh, doubled up in here <laughs> i think i have to try to continue my spirit of preventing you from getting picks that I think you might want. So I think I'm going to have to go with Spider-Man 2, even though I already have one other Spider-Man movie. But I think Spider-Man 2 is probably the best Marvel movie from that first decade of the 2000s, or at least in the top two or three with Iron Man also being there. But I know it's getting two Spider-Man movies, but you picked two Kansas City Chiefs teams last week and it works. So maybe having two Spider-Man movies on my list is going to work out for me. But I can't <laughs> let you have could. Spider-Man 2 as your fifth round pick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that would have been that that easily would have been my next one here. So it's a little bit harder now for sure because everybody else is kind of in the same tier, but I only have one superhero movie, so I'm going to add another one. Um, and it's Richard Donner's Superman 2. Um, so I, I really like Superman 2. Uh, obviously, Christopher Reeves uh, as Superman. And then you had Zod in there uh, as well. To me, just as good as the original. Um, love that movie. So Superman 2 will round out uh, my picks here. So you have uh, Empire Strikes Back. Cross the Spider-Verse, Winter Soldier, that was another one that hurt, 22 Jump Street, and man, Spider-Man 2. So it's a good, it's a very good list. Um, I got Dark Knight, Godfather 2, Terminator 2, Aliens, and Superman 2. So uh, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be another tight one. Can I keep the winning streak alive going into five in a row, or will it end this week or this episode? We'll find out. But that's going to do it for another episode. Um, thank you all again so much for listening. Uh, also, again, a massive shout out to the PFF data collection team, without whom we would not have this magnificent data to deliver to all of you guys, the good listeners. So big thank you to the best data collection team in the multiverse. Uh, Nate, thank you to you as well. I know you've been busy getting more content up on the website this week. So please let the good people know what they have to look forward to on PFF.com this week. Sure. This week, I remember to include those in my notes rather than just trying to remember everything off the top of my head. Today, I had the preseason recaps all compiled into one large article, so you don't have to go jumping around looking for different day articles. Um, also have the preseason recap top 10, which we just went over. So if you spent the last hour listening to this, you probably don't need to read that one, to be honest. Um, perfect draft strategy for 12 team leagues. I have a new version of that that went out today especially with some of the changes at ADP for some of the running backs in the 20 to 30 range, uh, definitely messed with the strategy a little bit. So it's different than what it was two weeks ago when I did it. Um, also have a 10 tips for winning your fantasy league, which is probably geared a little bit more towards beginners, but hopefully someone listening to this can find at least something interesting in that one as well. Um, updated super flex rankings for today. So that was my uh, five today, plus my recap later tonight. Uh, tomorrow, We'll have going up uh, most undervalued player by round. It's something that I've done the past couple of years. And looking back, um, it's been a pretty nice list of 
uh, seeing players who actually did work out versus players who didn't work out, and a number of them did work out. So excited to see that do well in the past and hopefully continues to do well this year. Um, running back sleepers, breakouts on league winners. I've written individual articles about those heading up this year, but um, have written that again. And with some new players in there, like I mentioned earlier with Gainwell in there rather than Penny, made other changes just based on new information, ADP changes and all those kind of things. And then tomorrow, also my wide receiver draft strategy article, which I've done for other positions. So this will round out that series of articles. Awesome. Yeah, definitely go check out all of that as well. Um, I'll have the preseason uh, week two IDP takeaways up on the site tomorrow. Uh, once this last game is wrapped tonight, um, I'll be writing up a bunch of fun fantasy content as well. Safest draft picks by round, riskiest draft picks by round coming out soon as well. So hopefully you'll get a chance to check those out too. Um, and then please subscribe to the, the PFF Fantasy YouTube channel and the PFF Fantasy Discord. That helps us a lot as well. And we will be back tomorrow with another episode talking draft strategy for picks nine to 12. Uh, we did picks one to three a few episodes ago. So now we'll look at things um, from the late round picks and see how draft strategy may differ there. So hope you'll tune in for that. And until then, peace out. Peace out.